Good morning, church. If I look weird, it's because I'm not from here. My name is Kenny Payne. I'm a missionary to Ukraine. I'm friends with Jimmy and Michelle. I've actually known them since they were teenagers. Uh, they used to attend Central Florida Bible Camp Teen Week when I used to uh, counsel there. And this summer, I also spent the summer counseling at Teen Week and reconnected with them. And so um, I asked Jimmy about coming and speaking to you wonderful people, and he said, I'll see if I can work that out. So here I am. So church, good morning to you. What is our mission? Okay, the, the way that Jesus said it was go into all the world and make disciples. And of course, you know the rest of that. And so that is our task. Um, when I was 17, I decided I wanted to become a preacher, but I, I wasn't so sure about the go into all the world part. And then um, I, I got invited to go to Ukraine. And I was invited by a guy named Randy Bailey, who was one of my professors at Southern Christian University. And I had just finished the year before uh, getting my master's degree in theology. And so he called me and said, look, I've got this chance to go and teach students at language institutes in Ukraine. Would you like to go and do that? And I said, you mean like Russia? And he said, well, it's actually like one country south of Russia, but um, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. My dad was a Navy guy. And so I had always framed the Russians as the enemy. And of course, in my formative years, if you watched movies like Rocky, you had Rocky trying to beat the Russians. Uh, remember the hockey year where we beat the Russians? And it was like, USA, USA. Nobody ever dreamed that would happen. And so all of that stuff was working in my mind when I was first invited to go and, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world even a part of the world that I considered my enemy. And I said no. You know what I forgot? I wanted to give you guys a chance. Let me see if I've got this on. I don't know where to point this to make it work. Right there. Oh, there it is. It was on and it set off. There we go. So... Normally we ask you to like put away your cell phones when it's this time of the service, but if you've got your cell phone and you would like to follow us, a good way to do that is on Facebook at Cross Culture Inc. or on Instagram at Cross Culture Kiev. And um, that would be a great way to keep up with our work. You can also find that information outside at my table. And so this is a picture of all of our young people um, and other people in our church family uh, from Thanksgiving of last year. Uh, so there's a picture of me and my wife, Laura, in 1992. Uh, in 1991, I finally said, yes, Randy, I will go to Ukraine. And the way that happened was really interesting because I went to the Tulsa Soul Saving Workshop and heard some people speak about work they were doing in Moscow planting churches. And the way that got started was they just met people on the street who were interested in speaking English. Maybe you've heard of the program Let's Start Talking. And so they used that program, Let's Start Talking, that interest in English, to teach the Gospel of Luke. And of course, if you teach the Gospel of Luke, pretty soon you're going to have people saying things like, well, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And they want to follow Jesus. And so they had gone to Moscow and just started working literally on the street and planted a congregation. And I thought, that's really neat. But when I got home from that workshop and Randy called and said, do you want to go to Ukraine? I said, no. 
And God kept working and, and, and putting other things in my heart. And finally, there was an attempted coup in uh, Moscow. Mr. Gorbachev was on vacation in Crimea, and some hardliners decided they were going to take over the government. They rolled tanks down the main street of Moscow. They parked in front of their parliament building. They turned the turrets on the tank, and they fired at the building. Boris Yeltsin, who was then unknown to us, walks out of that building that had just taken tank fire, climbed up and says, open up, what in the world are you doing? Surprisingly, the tank commander pops out and says, what am I doing? I'm doing what I was told to do. And he said, but you can't shoot at your own people. That's ridiculous. Stand down. This is over. And the tank commander told his men, stand down. And they turned around and drove away. It wasn't quite that easy for the whole coup to be over, but pretty much that's what happened next. And it was over. And not long after that, there was no Soviet Union. Without bullets, without war, the Soviet Union just dissolved. On the day I saw news reporters walking through the streets of Moscow talking to ordinary Russian people about how they felt about tanks rolling through the center of town and shooting at the parliament building. It was the first time that I saw them as people and not as cartoons. I thought all Russian guys were really big and really muscular and really tough. When I got to Russia, I found out I'm a little taller than the average Russian. That was a surprise. I found out that not all Russian women had warts on their nose because that's just kind of how I had them pictured. And so to see people not as cartoons that the enemy paints them as, and the enemy, of course, is Satan, but to see them as people that are made in the image of God, just like I am, and whom Jesus died for, just like he died for me, when, when, when God takes that filter away from your eye and you see that clearly, it changes things. And so I called Randy and said, um, I think I want to go to Ukraine. I first told my wife, and she said, I think that's a great idea. And Randy's first question to me was, have you seen the news? And I said, yes, that's why I'm calling. It made me want to go. He said, you're really strange because five people have called me today and told me they're not going. And I said, well, listen, bud. If it's just me and you, let's go. Turns out there were eight of us who went. Four went to a city called Gorlovka, four went to a city called Donetsk. And on the train ride back home after being there for three weeks and teaching these students, we were trying to figure out who could move back to Ukraine and work as a campus minister. And so Bill said, well, you know, I've got grandkids. That throws me out. And Max said, I'm about to get married, and I've never talked to my wife or my fiance about this, and it's going to be enough trauma for her to marry me, much less trying to move across the world. So, And every guy had a good excuse, and I'm a little slow sometimes, and I couldn't come up with an excuse. So I said, well, I think maybe I might go. Now, the last thing my wife had told me when I got on the plane in Pensacola, Florida, to fly to Atlanta and then to Moscow was, let's not move over there. <laughs> and I said, baby, don't worry. There's no danger of that. This is just for three weeks. 
I couldn't talk to her the whole time I was in Gorlovka because there was no phone communication out from there in those days. And uh, by the way, today, this morning, I was meeting with a bunch of ladies in Gorlovka. By the way, there's an active war there, and we paused in the service to listen to the missiles fly over. And then there was an internet disruption. And for three minutes, I was kicked off the internet at the hotel here in town. Their internet was still working. <laughs> so communication things have improved considerably since then. But in those days, you couldn't, you couldn't talk. And so uh, I, I, I realized I, I'm just having this experience and I can't share it with the most important person in my life, my wife. But when I called her from Moscow, she said about a minute into the conversation, she said, oh, no. And I said, oh, no, what? She said, oh, no, we're moving over there, aren't we? And I said, well, we need to talk about that, honey, when I get home. And I flew into Atlanta, and we were going to stay the night in Atlanta because instead of going back to Pensacola, we were going to go spend a couple of days in the mountains with her parents. And that night, we didn't sleep. We stayed up and talked the entire night. About 4.30 in the morning, uh, we had been praying and talking and crying and laughing and reading my journal, and we decided... Let's resign from our position. I was the pulpit minister for the Inner Point Church of Christ in Pensacola, Florida. Let's resign from our position and move over there for a year. And so we did, and this picture was taken just a couple months later. Um, man, there's all kinds of good stuff. What did I do? Oh, there we go. So I've been working in Ukraine since October 1991 was the first time I went. Uh, I, there's no way I can tell you in, in the time we've got together that story. So I'm just going to jump to late February of 2022. Actually, I was in Ukraine from August until December 20th of, of last year. And around October, the U.S. State Department started sending emails telling us, make sure you've got your bags packed and your documents all ready because you may need to leave at a moment's notice because there's 150,000 Russian troops on the border of Ukraine. We knew that there were troops there. We had already seen the news. My wife's mother called every day, actually FaceTimed every day. Are y'all leaving today? Are y'all leaving today? Because she watches Fox News and they were talking about that nonstop. We weren't watching the news. We were having Bible studies in our house. And so, you know, we were not distracted by the uh, things of the world. But in, in November, the the emails from the State Department changed and said, if you're, if you're not out of Ukraine, why? We had tickets to leave December 20th, and we didn't know if this thing starts, how long it would be before we could get back in. And so we didn't want to leave even one day early. So what we decided was, let's just wait until tomorrow to decide. And every day we woke up and said, no need to decide today, let's wait till tomorrow to decide. We learned a long time ago to watch the exchange rate, which is when you change U.S. dollars into their currency, uh, Ukrainian hryvnia. If that thing starts jumping crazy, up or down, that means there's something in the air. Something's going wrong politically, something's going wrong socially, something's going wrong militarily, but it, when it's jumping around like that, it means something's wrong paying attention. The exchange rate was perfectly level. If you go to the bank and they're either closed or when you ask for dollars, they say, we can't give you dollars, we'll only give you grievna. You know something's wrong. But I was going to the bank, they're open, they give dollars. There were no signs that anything was wrong, except for 150,000 troops on the Russian border. So we decided, we'll leave tomorrow. Finally, December 20th came, and we left. And we were hoping to come back into Ukraine March the 1st. 
But as you know, on February 24th, Russia invaded. And so this was the situation on the border. And you can just see Ukraine's completely surrounded and completely outgunned. Uh, it's amazing that the news I'm telling you today is that we're on day, I think it's 204 of the invasion of Ukraine because our intelligence service, which was exactly right that the troops are there, that they're gonna cross the border, our intelligence service said, Ukraine's gonna fall within three to 10 days. Did I just tell you it's 204 days later and Ukraine is still standing? And as of today, counteroffensively, they're turning the tide. It's not over, it's a long way from over. And it's not even all good news because in the cities where they've gone in, uh, where the Russians have been occupying, particularly the city of Izum, they found a mass grave with over 450 bodies in it. And not, not counting dead, they found otherwhere, more than 500 people. That's probably just the beginning based on what they found in the Kyiv region, for example, um, in Hostomel, or uh, in Bucha, or even in Erpen, where some of our people live. Um, the Russians were very hard on the civilian population. But that's what was going on then. Then the invasion happened, and at first it looked like they were just gonna take the whole country. Then things started turning. And so by May, there's nobody over by Kyiv threatening. Now the Russians are still shooting missiles, they're still flexing in that way, but those have no military value, they're not fighting the army, they're just trying to terrorize the civilian population and, and destroy their will to fight. But here's the difference. Russia's fighting for political ideology. Ukraine is fighting for their life. One of the most interesting things to me about the Ukrainian people is their wonderful sense of humor. And so every day since this invasion started, and even before that, I've been getting great memes from my friends about this. The meme I got two days ago was, Russia is now the fifth largest weapons donor to Ukraine. <laughs> Isn't that great? And so they, they, they just have this wonderful sense of humor, even though their lives are in danger. And, and that map shows you some progress. This one shows you even more progress. But I don't wanna spend all my time talking about political things. I wanna tell you about spiritual things. This is where I used to live. Um, this is the city of Donetsk. The region is called the Donetsk Oblast. And I lived right over here past the airport, uh, about there, it's 45 minutes from Donetsk, in the city of uh, Gorlovka, if you say it in Russian, Horlivka, if you say it in Ukrainian. Uh, we still have some church members there. This morning I was on with two of those ladies. Um, as I said, we were, we were talking about, we were reading through Psalm 23 and about the valley of the shadow of death. And so they said, well, let's just pause for a minute and see if you can hear the missiles flying over. Now it's hard for me to hear that because I'm not in the room that they're in, but they could hear it. And it was loud enough today that I could faintly hear it. Can you imagine if on your way to church this morning you were driving or walking and missiles flew over? Would you have continued coming to church? Or do you think you would have run to a bomb shelter or something? 
That's a real question every Sunday these ladies face. Am I going to go to church with the missiles flying or am I going to stay home? And some of them decide there's too many missiles today, I'm staying home. And, you know, that's a fair decision. And some of them decide I'm going to die somehow. Might as well die in the house of the Lord. And off to the church they go. And it's just an amazing, amazing thing. I haven't been to my home in Gorlovka since November of 2013 because I came out for the holidays and before I could get back in, the war started and I just haven't been able to go back because my passport's the wrong color. If somehow magically I could get to my neighborhood, I would be fine. The people in my, my neighborhood love me. They would protect me. They wouldn't turn me over to the army. Everything would be okay. But if I tried to cross the checkpoint, um, first I would go through the Ukrainian checkpoint and I don't know if they would let me through. They would say, bad idea. Those guys are going to kill you. If I could talk them into letting me go, the other guys, when they saw my U.S. passport, they would kidnap me and hold me for ransom. And then after a couple of days, when they realized nobody cares about this guy and is not going to ransom him, they would probably kill me. And so I just haven't risked that. But I can't wait to be able to go back there because we still have church family there. I meet with them every Sunday. By the way, they said hello to you. I told them that I was coming to speak to you. And so they said hello, and, and they will be praying for you. And one thing I can tell you about these ladies, if they say they're going to pray for you, they will be praying for you. So consider yourself blessed by prayers from across the world. Um, I want to tell you about our ministry in Kievan. I'll tell you a little more about Gorlovka in a little bit. This is our group of kids, our kids class. We have some friends, uh, Olga and, and Kostya, and they have a, a son who's 22, and they have twin boys who just turned 12 last Saturday. And a couple of years ago, their sons, Maxime and Danielle, came to me and said, when, when Nikita was a teenager, he had classes like every week, sometimes twice a week for he and his friends. So when are you going to do that for us? And I said, well, when do you want to do it? And they said, let's start Saturday. And I said, okay, here's the problem. Uh, I've got a house and you can come to my house and we'll do it. I know how to teach. That's not a problem. Laura will fix the food. That's not a problem. Everything will be good. But I don't know any kids your age. You're the only two kids your age I know. And they said, don't worry about it. We know lots of kids. And so they started bringing their friends. And so every Saturday, they came. We decided we would meet at 11 o'clock. And we were thinking 11 till probably 1. The first day, they thought it was 11 until 3.30. Most of the time by 4 now, 4.30, they're out of there. Sometimes they say, let's go to the park now. Um, it's interesting because Laura wanted to keep this simple because we have so many meetings at our house. So she said the first menu is going to be this, Lay's potato chips, hot dogs, and Oreos. And so that's what we had for the kids. And they ate it up like it was you know, a feast. The next week, she thought she was feeling a little guilty for, for hot dogs. So she thought she would do something a little better. So she did some spaghetti and some other stuff. And the kid's first question was, where's the hot dogs? <laughs> so she went back to Lay's potato chips, hot dogs, and Oreos. And there's always sometimes a little something else, but those three things are going to be there every week. And if you don't do it, the kids will fuss about you for not doing that. And so these kids are, are hiding God's word in their hearts. Oh, there's some, some hot dogs and chips right there. So I want to tell you a story about what we were doing um, in late November of last year. Uh, to get ready for Christmas, we, we were making Advent calendars. And so 
um, they, they had to hand make these calendars and each day there would be a number on it, one through, um, I think it was 28. And then they had to, on the back of it, after they stenciled the numbers on and painted what they wanted to paint, then they hand wrote the Bible verse or verses that went with that. And of course, it's all about um, the coming of Jesus. And so after they got those done, they were so proud of them. You know, they're ready to take it home and every day they're going to flip it. And, and my wife said, why don't we challenge them to memorize all those verses? Well, that was a bunch. And I, so I asked her, do you want to memorize all those verses? She said, well, I don't want to, but I will. And I said, because they're going to ask us if, you know, if, if we tell them to do it, we're going to have to do it. And she said, okay, let's do it. So we challenged them to do it. And as typical kids go, they said, okay, so what do we get? Because it was a lot of verses. And so we hadn't really thought that far. And Laura just said, well, I can't tell you exactly what you're going to get, but I promise you it's going to be really good. And so they said, so what happens if you memorize, say, 26 of the verses instead of 28? I said, well, then we will tell you, hey, you did a really good job. It's a good thing you know that, but you don't get the prize. They said, well, what if we get 27? Same thing, good job, but no prize. Really, we got to learn all 28 to get the prize? Yes, you got to learn all 28 to get the prize. Great, let's do it. And so we decided that every, every Saturday they would recite the seven verses for that week. And so the first Saturday, Olga had COVID and couldn't come. And so everybody says their verses, and, and man, it was amazing. Everybody got them right, and they, they were just blowing through it. It was great, because they were, they were fussing. Oh, this is too much. There's no way we can memorize all that. Let's, let's just do something shorter. And I, nope, if you want a good prize, you're going to have to do the good work. And so they set them all. Well, Olga FaceTimes us and says, look, I don't want to have to do 14 verses next week when I'm back, so I'm going to do my seven this way. So we started with number one and went up to number seven. She started with number 28 and went down. So Maxine tells me, after all this is said and done and, and they finished eating lunch, Maxine tells me, I, I know what you're trying to do. You want us to memorize all this stuff and like have it in our brains. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. He said, but that's not how it works with kids these days. He says, it goes in this ear, it comes out for the test, and then it exits the building. And I said, okay, I'm good with that. He said, well, just didn't want you to waste your money. So three weeks later, Olga is saying her last set of verses. It was the first set that these guys said. And she's, she's going along saying it, and she forgets a word, so she pauses. And Maxine tells her the word. And she picks back up and she goes, and then she pauses, and he tells her the next word. And then she paused again, and he said, forget it, let me finish it. And he says it all. And I said, no, Maxime, it's not for you to do her verses. And so she said it all again, and she got it all. And then while we were eating lunch, I told Maxime, I said, hey, buddy, that verse seemed to stay pretty well in your head. And he winked at me and said, maybe you're getting your money's worth. <laughs> I was reminded of the psalm. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's what we're teaching these kids every Saturday. This Saturday, 
we were reading the resurrection accounts because we've been studying the life of Peter. And so we're at that point where Peter is wondering, do I get to come back and be around Jesus? Because I denied three times that I even know him. And you can't even believe some of the good questions those kids are asking about that story. Just amazing to be with them. One of my biggest surprises in Ukraine work was that I now work, well, not right this minute, of course, because of the war and most of the African students have left. But before the war, I was working with a bunch of students from Africa. They come to Ukraine to study, and study all kinds of things. And there's several universities that allow foreign students to come and study there. And, and we get together for Bible study. And I worked in Ukraine for like 28 years before I ever met a person of color. And then all of a sudden, I've got a ministry with all these students from Africa. It's really amazing. And I'm a basketball player. And so I meet basketball players. And there was a couple of African students who were actually at the local university playing on the basketball team who were hanging out in my neighborhood because we've got one of the best outdoor basketball courts. And I met a kid named Shad. And uh, man, I could tell you a million stories about Shad. He's actually in Europe right now running from the war. But um, it's just amazing that God put these beautiful people in my life. Can I tell you a quick story about a couple of these women on the screen? They were living together in, a, in an apartment, and their landlord told them, um, you've got to be out of your apartment, and you've got 10 days to get out. Well, it's almost impossible to find a place to live in Kiev in 10 days. Uh, but they came to our next meeting and said, okay, we now have eight days to find a place to live, and we want you to pray about it. And here's what we want to pray for, because not only do we need a place in eight days, but it needs to be closer to our university because um, the other one was a, a long walk and inconvenient for us, so it needs to be closer. It needs to be a little bit bigger because the other one was kind of cramped, and it needs to cost less. And I'm like, really, is there anything else you would like? Do you want a car to go with that? No, those are just the things, okay? We need it in eight days. It needs to be bigger. It needs to be closer to the school. It needs to cost less, okay? And so we prayed for that. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer that you were skeptical of? Any skeptics here? I mean, I hate to admit it. I'm the, I, I, I'm the preacher, and so I'm not supposed to be skeptical. But even while I'm praying this, I'm saying, God, I understand if you can't get this done. Because that's a ridiculous prayer. The next week when they walked in the door, they said, can't wait until the end for praise report and prayer. We got an apartment. And we got it three days after we prayed for it. I said, that's awesome. Do you need help moving? No, we already moved. Great, where is it? Well, that's the best part. It's right by our university. It's literally like a five-minute walk. That's so great. I said, well, wonderful. God really has gone over and above. And they said, oh, you just don't know. It's bigger than our other apartment. And I said, really? How much is that costing you? Well, that's the best part. It's $50 cheaper than our previous apartment. And I said, God, can you teach me to pray like these girls know how to pray? Because they fully expected, listen to me, church, they fully expected that their father would take care of them.
Why else would they have prayed? I have been going to school on their prayers. Mm. This was our meeting for the holidays. Um, the students were so afraid of getting COVID that we met online almost all fall, but finally just wanted to be together. And so those that were willing risked it and came. And this was kind of between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we had a Thanks Christmas celebration. Man, it was amazing. This is our young adult small group. I just love these guys. These are the reason, these guys are the reason I moved back to Kiev in 2018. Uh, our church in Gorlovka in 2014 was about 70 folks strong. And when the war started, the church just spread. Everybody thought it's going to last a few weeks. We'll be able to go home. Uh, after a few years, they realized there's no going home. Um, there's still six or seven of our ladies that still live in Gorlovka. They're mostly elderly ladies. We've got one, uh, one of those ladies. Uh, she's a babushka grandmother. She has her granddaughter, uh, Miroslava, who comes quite a bit. Uh, she's a lovely girl and with a beautiful voice. Uh, but mostly it's these elderly ladies who are holding down the fort in, in Gorlovka. And so we realized in 2017, we need to try to get our church family together because everybody just fled and there was like no goodbyes. The war started, people ran and, and, and that was it. And so we rented a place outside Kiev and told everybody that wanted to come that they'd come. So people uh, left Gorlovka and came. Women have not such a hard time crossing the war zone. Okay, men find it extremely difficult to do that because you may get literally... Uh, thrown into the army if they catch you but women they just let them pass and so we had about 40 or 45 people that came to that retreat and it was wonderful and what we noticed was almost all of our young people were in the Kiev area and they started putting in why don't you guys come here and so we decided to do that and so some of these kids started coming to our bible classes when they were just little kids let's see who's in this picture let me see what do we got here okay so this is susha her brother, Pasha, you'll see him in a minute, he came when he was four years old to, to our vacation Bible school on the first night. And he went home and became the best evangelist for our vacation Bible school. And here's what he told Susha. The Americans threw a party and they have Coke and cookies. You've got to come. It's amazing. And so she came. She's now... 30 years old, and I think Pasha is probably some, something like 27, 26 or 27. Um, Pasha's actually fighting for Ukraine. He's in, like, the National Guard. Um, and Susha's boyfriend, Dima, he, he, was a, he was a wrestler. He was on the Ukrainian national wrestling team. Never held a gun in his life. When the war started, it was probably two or three days later, he told Susha, I'm going to go sign up. And he went and joined the army, and now he's fighting. He's not at the front. He's in the Kiev area, but he, he's in the army. And so we've helped outfit those guys. They, they, they didn't give them uniforms, and we sent them a uniform and all the stuff that he would need. And It's just a crazy, crazy thing. But So all these people ha have been part of our life for 20 years. Well, I say all of them, not all of them. Some of them are people that, that the folks that have been a part of our life have brought in from work or from new friendships in Kiev and other places. And so this group is a glorious mix of all that. They come to our house on Sunday afternoon. Uh, if the weather's good, we'll meet in the park between, say, 2 and 4 or 5. Then we'll go to our house and have supper. We'll play some games. We'll have some singing. We'll pray. We'll have a, about an hour of Bible study. Not because the preacher's long-winded. I am, by the way. 
but that's not the reason. It's because I have to have it translated. And so only half of that is in English, me doing it. The other half is the translator doing his thing. And so uh, then around 10.30 or maybe 10, people start leaving if they're going to ride public transportation home because public transportation shuts down. And then somewhere around midnight, Kenny's taxi starts taking the rest of them home. So if you're counting, that's telling you they're there for 10, you know, eight, six hours. They would never think of coming to church for an hour. What? I, I traveled more than an hour to get here. Why would I want to do that? And so it just is an all-day thing. It's such a glorious thing. When I get through here, I'll start driving back uh, to Tennessee, and I'll pull off the highway somewhere, and I will have church with them because they're going to be all meeting. They're probably eating right now as we speak, and they're getting ready for that. So there is, uh, let me find Pasha. That's Dima that I mentioned. That's Susha's boyfriend. I'm looking for Pasha. That's his girlfriend. But where is he? Oh, he's taking the picture. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot. That's why he's not, I was like, where's Pasha? Uh, but he, he was taking the picture because he wanted me to be in it. So just love working with these guys. Uh, the day the war started on February 24th, it was 4.30 in the morning for them. For me, it was Wednesday evening. And so I put on our Telegram channel, which is how we communicate with each other, hey, why don't we get together and pray later today? And I set a time about three hours after that. Let's get together and pray. And so everybody that could got on and, and we prayed and we spent about two hours talking and praying. Of course, everybody is scared. Everybody's fearful. Some people have already started running. Other people are trying to decide, do I just stay here? Do I run? Uh, we have been trying for a month before that to get our people out of there. And nobody would make the decision to go. We had decided we were going to take them all to Turkey and just spend 30 days in Turkey at a retreat and have a spiritual retreat. And then if the thing started during that 30 days, we'd figure out what to do. Our first group, actually our first two groups of people were supposed to leave at 12.30 and 3.30 the day the thing started. And obviously it started that morning at 4.30 in the morning. The first thing that happens, the airport's closed, so it's over. And, um, and so they were just there. And, and that meeting turned into let's meet every day. And for like 210, no, no, first 100, maybe 160 days, we met every day. And we prayed and we read scripture. At first we were just doing an overview of the Old Testament. Then we did an overview of the New Testament. Then we did the book of Revelation. Then we did the gospel of Mark. Now we're in the 25th chapter of Acts. Today is actually where we are. And so every day these people are feasting from God's word. Well, now it's four days a week. And, and praying together. And it's just amazing in this wartime situation how much they have grown. There's the Gordoff ladies. I've already told you some things about them. Just an amazing group of ladies. When this thing started in 2014, I asked this woman right here. Her name is Tanya. Please leave. I'll pay for you to go. Just leave. And she said, Kenny, if I go somewhere else, is Jesus going to have to take care of me there? And I said, yes. She said, well, if he's going to have to take care of me there, it's not going to cost him any more energy to take care of me right here. And besides, isn't that wonderful? When, when the student passes the teacher, I taught her about Jesus, and she knows more about faith than I do. That's a beautiful moment, by the way. I've got some work to do. 
But what she said was, my ministry is here. The old people that I check on are here. And I need to stay here. And every time I've asked her since then, do you want to go? She says, nope, I want to stay here. Man, I just love that. How our people are helping. These are some of our ladies and guys that are building camouflage nets to put over checkpoints and doing things like that. That was early in the war. This is my buddy Artum. Oh, and that's Pasha, by the way, the, one, the kid I was telling you about that was about Coke and cookies, Susha's brother. So this is Artum. He is a, a rock and roll drummer, but because that doesn't pay well, he's also uh, a barber. And so the way he helps is he goes to the troops and spends like all day Saturday cutting hair and doesn't charge him anything. If they want to give him something, that's great. If they don't, that's okay. And that's how he helps out. Everybody in our group has figured out some way to help. So we give some money for our people to help them because especially when they had, at one point everybody left Kiev, and so they still had their apartment rent in Kiev. They had the apartment rent in wherever place they were going. They had to feed themselves. Some of them were still being able to work remotely. Some of them were not able to work because their job demanded that they be there and it wasn't even open. And so we gave them money, and here was our instructions. Take care of your needs, take care of your needs, and help people around you and bless people around you. And so that's what they've been doing. Uh, right now, I can't give money away. I keep asking, who needs money? And you know what they're telling me? Just wait till winter. We're okay right now, but winter's going to come soon. And when winter comes, we're going to need help. So just sit on that money and wait till winter. So I'm already trying to collect money to help these people make it through winter. I have to tell you that, uh, let me see if I can find a picture of them. So that's Toma and that's Nastia. Those two are married. So I gave them some money. It was plenty of money to meet their rent in Kiev, their other rent, their food, and still have some to help give away. And I know how much all that stuff is, and so I made sure there was, there was plenty. And so about two weeks later, my friend Sergey tells me, I, I think that uh, Toma and Nasty are going to need some more money. And I said, what happened? Why do they need more money? I gave them enough to cover all their bills and everything. And they said, well, they, they didn't pay any of their bills, and they didn't buy anything for themselves. They gave all that money away to help other people. And I said, why? And he said, they just thought the other people needed it more than they did. But now they need it. So I gave them more money and I said, okay, apparently you didn't hear the instructions. Take care of yourself. Pay your bills. Take care of yourself and then help others. And that time they listened. They still were out of money by the end of the day, by the way, because they paid their bills and and they gave the rest away. Um, I could tell you story after story after story of that. These people are so beautiful. These are just some of the folks that they've helped. This is one of our young guys. His name is Andrew. Uh, for the first month and a half, he stayed in, in Kiev. And he's got a friend, another one of the guys in our group. His name is Vlad. There he is. And so... I just asked them, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're just trying to help people however we can. And I said, well, what, what, what would be the best way that you could help people? They said, if we had money to buy food to deliver to old people, 
that would be the best way we could help. Because like our grandparents are scared to get out. All of their friends are scared to get out. People that are old just don't even want to leave their house, even for food. And so I said, done. And I sent them some money. They went to the store and bought food. Here's the problem. Neither one of them have a car, and they didn't have any friends that had a car. So when they go buy, you know, 100 pounds worth of groceries, it's lug it. And in some cases, it's lug it 10 flights of stairs because the elevator's not working in the building where they're taking it or more. So it was quite a bit of work for them. But I can tell you, they made a lot of elderly people happy. And the number one question they got was, why are you doing this? Why would you bring me this and give it to me? And they said their favorite thing to say was, because Jesus loves you. Can you imagine, in the middle of a war, lugging hundreds of pounds of groceries upstairs to give to old people and feeling your heart full of joy because you get to say, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you. Man, I can't wait to get back with these guys and hear their stories because every one of these pictures is a story. There's Roma giving blood. What are we trying to do in Ukraine? I want to give you two passages. It's the same thing you're trying to do here, by the way, okay? Here's what Paul says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and, and long and high and deep, you feel it, is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Jesus replied when asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's what we're trying to do in Ukraine, to help people understand and embrace the amazing love of God. We want every person that we meet to feel God's love come out of our life into their life. And then... We want to help those people to return God's love with all they have and to love others as God loves them. And that's what we've seen from little kids like Pasha who goes home and tells his sister, hey, there's great Coke and cookies. You should come. I could have told you about Zhenya, this this young woman who came. And the reason she came was because she saw me carrying the cookies from the car to the building. And she said, what are the cookies for? And I said, those are for class later today. Would you like to come to class? You get cookies? Yes, you do. I'm there. And she came. And she brought, I bet, 15 people over the years to get cookies. You know, she still likes cookies. But she loves Jesus. And so many of her friends who came for a cookie now love Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And Whoops, I went too far. We're looking for partners who want to join us. We need folks that are willing to help us. We don't have quite all of our budget, even for this year, done. So if you'd like to partner with us, I've got a table set up, and I can tell you how to do that. If you've got any questions, I'd love to talk to you about that too. But you know, every time God's family gets together, it's a really good thing to remind ourselves that life is hard, and we fail God in a lot of ways. And God's not shocked by that. You know, when I, when I tell God, God, I blew it, he doesn't go, you really did? 
I didn't know that. Confession is, is not so that we can better inform God about our weakness. Confession is so that we can name it and watch God move it out of our lives. And if you've got some sins that you've been struggling with that, that you can't let go of or that, that they can't let go of you and you want some freedom, can I tell you that this is the time to come get freedom? I mean, it's always available. But this is the time when the family is together and we will pray for you to be free because the prayers of righteous people avail much. That's a promise from our Father. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if He's not your Lord and Savior, what else does He have to do to show you how much He loves you? We would invite you to come and talk about Him. There's some, there's some good people here who know Jesus well, and they will tell you what He's done for them. And you can see what He will do for you. And when you're ready, you can confess His name. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in water to be given what the Bible calls a new birth. Isn't that beautiful? That's a new life. It all starts over right here. And if you need either one of those things, this is the time the family's gathered so that you can claim those gifts for which Christ died. If you need to respond, why don't you while we stand and sing?